Welcome to Satellite Stories. Today we're learning about SES's second geostationary satellite, Astro-1b. We'll hear about its journey to space, its mission while in space, and what happens next when our engineers finally give that last command. The moment the satellite is sent to a proper decommissioning orbit, beyond 38,000 kilometers away from the Earth's surface, so that it doesn't damage the environment in outer space. It's a little like getting rid of your first car. It's, it's a machine that was a part of our lives for so long, and it was somehow sad that it's, it's going to be gone now, but it had to be. So what does that literally sound like? The end of a satellite's life? In those days, when you commanded the satellite, there were tones. There was one tone for zero, there was one for uh, one, and there was another one for execute. And then it took about a fraction of a second to send them. So there's a lot of bird chirps. On this episode, we meet Ray Sperber, who was third in situ as an SES engineer back in the late 80s. But before we begin, first, let's take a trip back to 1991, the day Astro-1B was launched. Picture a busy room in Karoo, French Guiana. Right in the middle, the gentleman with the mustache, with his hands together, His Royal Highness, the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, here to see the extension of his country's direct broadcast satellite system. The energy is tense and the countdown begins. Cinq. Quatre, trois, deux, unité, feu. Allumage, décollage. This is the moment Astro-1b made its epic journey to orbital slot 19.2 degrees east, 36,000 kilometers away from the Earth's surface. Paramètres propulsifs et guidage normal. Extinction des propulseurs d'appoint à poudre. Solid boosters burn out. Début de mise en rotation. Spin-up of the composite has just uh, started, which means we have now reached the uh, correct attitude, waiting for separation of their bird. Separation Astra-1b. Astra-1b has been separated. These days there are now hundreds of satellites in space, but when it comes to moving from SD to HD and seeing more channels on your satellite TV than ever before, the way that came about isn't quite what you'd expect. So from the days of one orbital slot per country to now Ultra HD video on demand and hybrid solutions, today we hear from a man who's witnessed the birth and death of many crucial moments in SES's history, including something called co-location. Welcome back to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smithmeyer. The things we're talking about today are usually the types of things you're most likely to watch on screen, of which you can do, by the way. Visit our website, scs.com, or our YouTube channel. But what we're aiming to do with this series is introduce you to the people behind the scenes, to include the stories which have fascinated them, and a chance to understand their passion for why they love doing what they do. Because when it comes to satellites, foray, Having seen some of these projects turn from post-it notes to waving goodbye witnessing their death, 
Satellites can probably be equated to a family member or a dear friend. The type of friend or relative who causes you no end of grief from the get-go. The one who keeps you up late at night and wakes you up early in the morning, but one that you'll always be proud of, even when it's time for them to eventually flee the nest. So it seemed apt to begin with Ray right at the beginning, by asking where exactly he was at the time Astro-1B started its journey. I was in the control room. My boss was in, uh, in French Guiana. We only had one orbital slot. It had pretty much the same uh, coverages of Astro-1A with a little more power. So that made the channels stronger and a wider coverage. Once uh, Astro-1B was in orbit, you mentioned that we only had one orbital slot at the time, mm -hmm. right? And you had this vision of having multiple geostationary satellites occupy, occupy one single orbital position. Well, to be clear, it wasn't just my vision. It was, it was something we, we realized we had to do until we got more orbital slots. And there was no slots in sight. We really were squeezed into this one space in the sky. At the time, the state of the art was the Japanese had put three spacecraft uh, close together, about a tenth of a degree apart, with longitude co-location. But you can also see that if you want to add more than three, you basically start to make a little arc, and a ground antenna can only point in one space. So it'll start to be able to tell the difference. You'd actually like to stay closer. After work, we can find ourselves, you know, watching an episode of something or reading a book. But you were up to something completely different. Well, I was interested in personal computers. So I had a, a PC and uh, along with it was this uh, little program called BASIC that let you program simple things. When we studied the co-location here, we, we'd, we'd gotten all the reports we could find. And there was some idea that, that you could have the spacecraft fly around each other like in an atom. And there were always concerns about collisions. And also, do you fly in front of the, the other one? I programmed a little uh, simulator, basically. Never really worked correctly, but the user interface was good. It showed the three views, top, side, and front. Uh, and I used a different color for each satellite because you could have up to eight colors. That was cool. <laughs> uh, and text. And then you could program in maneuvers and it would propagate the orbit and draw a little trail. What it didn't do right, it, it didn't actually treat the north-south motion correctly. But over the, the short term on the simulation, that didn't matter too much. But this wasn't something that you were hired at the time to work no, on. No, my boss didn't want me doing it. And he'd known I was interested in this. And he said, no, I, I don't want you doing this at work. And I said, well, okay, I won't. At work. Right. <laughs> so where did you find time to work on this? Well, after work, down in the evenings. And what, I mean, did your did your family know that you were, you know, working on something that, I mean... Is a huge milestone in the satellite industry. Actually, I don't think any of my family knows about this. 
<laughs> okay, so 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 when they're sitting around watching the telly or reading a book, at the times when you were sitting, you know, in your office. No, no, and... This is in the evening after they've gone to bed. We oh, have okay. Two, two small children. Yeah. So, so that was quite the natural dynamic I had an hour or two. I could go downstairs and, and do something. Coming back to you working on co-location, mm-hmm. just tell me a little bit more about that. So you were working in the evenings after your family had gone to bed... Yeah. Okay. I had some uh, technical books, uh, and and so for circular orbits, there's um, I basically took equations for this special case out of a book, programmed it up, and that was easy enough. And then you just step by step calculate what happens next. And it wasn't an industrial quality simulation with respect to accuracy, but you could see what more or less what would happen. And you could program in a maneuver, a little kick to the satellite, and then you would see the orbit change. And then gravity would pull it back around the box. You could work those things out. And in and, and that sense, it gave a great deal of insight. And when you brought this you know, work that you'd been working on at home, when you brought Mm -hmm. that to the office, what happened? Well, yeah, so this was before IT security. You could take a floppy disk, just bring it from home to work. (laughs) And we didn't have networks either. Right. I I showed it to my boss and he said, oh, that's nice. And and he was playing with it. And, And okay, now I don't, the way I heard the story from him was his boss came in and saw him playing with it, so he had to talk it up, and and the guy liked it. And and not too long afterwards, they promoted me to be chief engineer. Well, if it changed the industry, I think that deserves a promotion. <laughs> well, but thank you. Maybe what's key with it was what I did with the program was I gave it to my boss, and I also gave it to the flight dynamics guys and said, here, I've done this. It's for you. Uh, do with it what you want. I'm going to stop working on this because really, uh, it's not my job. Uh, you're the domain experts, and please, uh, here it is. And so they they programmed it up and kept a version going for the longest time. And even today, we have a very similar display for our own use. So co-location, it, it has that benefit of our customers, our broadcasters being able to to have more capacity. Yes. And then for the end users, what it essentially means is that they have more channels, more choice. And it also contributed eventually to, you know, them being able to watch the equivalent of today's Game of Thrones in HD instead of SD, right? Yes, yes. I want to ask you, did you always know that you wanted to be a satellite engineer when you were a kid? No. I, in fact, I wanted to be, well, like most kids, you start off wanting to considering whether you want to be fireman or policeman, soldier. And, and around about high school, I decided I wanted to be an, an applied physicist. So I studied physics and then I got interested in aerospace. Because there are kids that have posters of stars and satellites on their walls, right? And dream of having an opportunity to work in this kind of industry, let alone have an effect on what actually happens in space. And I mean, 
you gave a final command to a satellite. You yeah, were you so. were there. So, <laughs> I mean, I would say that's a pretty extraordinary thing to have done. I mean, you were there for the launch. You were there throughout Astro One B's life cycle. You were part of. I had to write a monthly report much too often. <laughs> <laughs> but you were also part of the team that's you know sparked the idea of co-location, and that mm-hmm. is a first in the industry and a huge milestone. At the start of this podcast, we heard an audio recording of that moment you gave that final command. I'm interested to know, what was going through your mind in that moment? Hmm. I think it was it was more just to, to do what I was supposed to do. Remember, engineers are never really allowed to touch the console. There had been less than half a dozen times when my fingers had been on the keyboard. So it's actually, am I pressing the right key? And there were one of my colleagues uh, assuring me that, yes, this is the one here. It was the execute. And, and so in that sense, it was a simple operation. Push that last button. In those days, when you commanded the satellite, the commands were, there were tones. There were three tones and the combination of the tones in short, there was one tone for zero. There was one for uh, one, and there was another one for execute. And then it took about a fraction of a second to send them. So there's a lot of like bird chirps. Of course, there's a sadness, you know. It's, it's, it's a little like selling your, or getting rid of your first car. It's, it's a machine that was a part of our lives for so long, and it was somehow sad that it's, it's going to be gone now, but it had to be. Yeah, I can't even imagine. In the satellite business, this happens quite frequently. So it's and, and there you'll hear stories about people crying and and all of that, and they're true. Yeah. Um, the guys who are building it, you know, they spend their lives on the factory for five years, working really hard, losing all kinds of sleep, and then the thing fails during launch. That's something to cry for. Here, here we had a successful life. Yeah, it was time to go. It's done what it had to do. Yeah. It was okay. Um, yeah. It was a good life. And it's now somehow over. Ray, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, I feel honored to hear these stories from you. I think it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Our thanks to Ray for his insight. And if you'd like to find out more about what SES does or watch more of the behind the scenes of how satellites and broadcasting works, visit our YouTube channel.